Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help improve and take your business to the next level. What I try to do is take different topics that I think are really relevant that allow you to reflect and think about, you know, how you grow and improve your business. Today, I'm going to be talking about a topic that I think, you know, really connects not only to a lot of remodeling businesses, but certainly many other solid businesses out there as well, and that is business themes to live by. Now, before I dive into this topic, I want to thank those that support this podcast series, my friends at National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NERI, as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine, and certainly my producers at Surefire Local, a leading digital marketing group. So the reason I'm diving into this topic is that I think today, more than anything, we're finding that businesses, while fundamentally are still very similar than they've always been, in that you've got to generate opportunities, convert those into leads, sell, produce, and then ultimately connect back and create raving fans as clients. Fundamentally, I think the process has not changed. However, I think there's so many variables and the speed at which business is going today, you need to have, I think, some kind of overriding framework. It's kind of like in religion. You know, what are some of those Ten Commandments, you know, that are out there that while they don't necessarily tell you exactly what to do on a day-to-day basis, they do, in fact, kind of give you, I think, the direction and guidance that you need to do to make your own decisions in the right way. Now, I find as businesses start to grow, and certainly that I found this myself in business, is as business start to grow and you get more and more people or more complexity of projects, that you need to have not necessarily a bigger rule book, a bigger playbook. You need to have, I think, an understanding of these commandments and then these rules. Now, many people talk in terms of, you know, core values and mission and vision. All those, I think, kind of lead up to what these business themes are. So I'm going to take a few minutes here and just share from my book, Fit to Grow, five of the 12 business themes that I unpack that I think are important and really connect the dots to all businesses out there. But as you listen to this, you know, not only reflect on this, but pass this recording a little podcast along to other team members to have a discussion about, you know, what are our themes? Can we adopt these themes that Mark is talking about here? So at least we are kind of rowing together in sync with each other. And again, as you'll see in a minute, they're pretty fundamental, but they have to be interpreted in different kind of ways. So the first theme that I think uh, uh, is important for all businesses to adopt And it's one of these things that I find as I work with different businesses, many businesses are kind of torn and in conflict with this. 
theme, and that is people are your greatest assets. Now, when I talk about that theme or I'm giving a talk and, and there's whatever, 30, 40 people in the audience, and I ask them, what does that mean? What's the most important word within that theme? People are your greatest assets. And most people gravitate to the word people. And they say, of course, people are the greatest asset. And I then challenge them and I ask them, are you treating your people with the degree of reverence that you do your clients or your products or your systems? The answer, generally speaking, I think when you really get into it is generally no. People are not necessarily your greatest assets. And as a result, they're not necessarily uh, seeing kind of the level of, of loyalty and return and really kind of gung-ho attitude to the business. Now, the key word in this theme, though, is not people, but it's asset. And I say that because the more that you understand the word asset, assets and investment, and as if, if it is the most important, it's the crown jewel of the business in terms of asset or investment, then all of a sudden you've got to approach it in different ways. You know, training, for example, is an investment, not necessarily an expense. The level of care and feeding, the priorities of giving, for example, your field personnel more importance than the tools or the materials or certainly the vehicles. I talk to owners all the time that will complain about different things within the business, and oftentimes they're not necessarily treating the people with the degree of importance. Now, this is not something that's going to change overnight. You need to really work on this, you know, get the whole team rallied behind it, celebrate the successes where the business has made people the greatest asset within the business, and I think you'll start to see this shift and change. The second business theme to live by is business is about the experience, not the product. I actually had a little bit of a mini revelation about 20, 25 years ago when I was getting a lot of client letters because we were doing so many different projects. And I found when I was reading a pile of these client letters one day, of these 15 or 16 different letters, almost every single one of them talked about the experience, not the product. They talked about the fact that their dog was depressed because they didn't have an opportunity every day to have lunch with the carpenter. They talked about when there was a snowstorm and the carpenter and the helper actually helped to shovel them so a single mom was able to get the kids to daycare. They talked about, you know, going out and finding a lost cat that had gotten out of the house during the construction process. These were the memories. These were the experiences that really were so lasting and left uh, really an imprint on what the client really perceived the company was all about. So I simply say, You've got to make the experience a priority, not just the product. You've got to realize, at least in home remodeling, it's their house, it's their home, not a construction site. You know, when, for example, your craftsmen arrive to the home, do they look at their tools and the, and the building materials, or they, do they look for the newspaper that they can go and knock on the door and hand it 
and say good morning to the client. The more that they're focused on the experience, the more likely you're going to create raving fans and certainly clients for life. Number three theme that you bind these themes together like puzzle pieces is it's our obligation to communicate, not others' responsibility to understand. Now, this theme is both internal, i.e. with your team, certainly with your trade partners, but also with your client. It's our obligation to communicate, not others' responsibilities to understand. Now, if you think about that, the key to this theme is you have to own, everyone has to own the communication. Nine times out of ten, issues in business and challenges, either internally or externally, are not because of dishonesty or anyone's being taken advantage or malicious, but it's because of misunderstanding, miscommunication. Now, when you make this theme a priority, you start to also look at different ways of going about communicating. Communicating, as we've all learned in business speak, is not just about words. Communicating is about using different visual cues to communicate more effectively. Communication is about using metaphors and analogies that are relevant to the client's life or to your internal team member's life. The bottom line is you've got to train how to communicate more effectively. And if you can even get one or two more problems out of ten going away and vaporizing because of better and more effective communication in business, you're going to see less mistakes and profitability go up. It's our obligation to communicate not others' responsibility to understand. The number four business theme to live by is aggressive but realistic. Now, I struggled with this not only internally but also with many businesses out there that I certainly work with and advise, and that is what is the right cadence, what is the right pace within your business plan, within your business model, and with what your expectations are with each other. I found that by hooking together those two words, aggressive and realistic, it kind of creates the right balance. So, for example, aggressive means businesses need an edge. They need a kind of competitive advantage. They need to work hard. They need to push. That's what aggressive is. On the other hand, it needs to be realistic. Realistic takes into account all the many priorities, takes into account competencies, takes into account uh, history in terms of what's been able to do, but also in the construction and remodeling world, takes into account other external factors in the environment, like certainly weather and the elections and vacations and all the other things. So as you go in and you have discussions with your team members and certainly with clients and trade partners, and you always ask that question as you discuss things. Is this aggressive but realistic? That's your ultimate check. And if everybody can have the same cadence, the same pace, the right pace, then the likelihood that you're going to be rowing together, being more aligned, and being more successful is much greater. The last one is one that I actually did a talk on with, a matter of fact, a group and my friends at Surefire literally yesterday, and that is exceeding expectations. Now, if you really think about that, this is probably the two simplest words of any of the business themes that I wrote about, but I think 
it's probably the hardest to be able to do. You know, your clients tend to be fairly controlling. They tend to be fairly demanding and oftentimes manipulating. And they're oftentimes asking for things and we're making oftentimes promises that we can't necessarily fulfill. So the key to this is that you always, always have to set an expectation that you can exceed it by 1%. And if you can exceed the expectation, that client is going to trust you. That result is going to be less questioned. That expectation is going to result in more, certainly, referrals and more reverence in terms of relationship. But the key to this element is you've got to set the right expectation before you can actually seed it. And that takes some courage. It takes some courage sometimes to say, no, no, I can't, we can't do this. But what you have to do is you have to be empathetic and compassionate as you're setting the right expectation so that you're aligned with that. So at least you're giving yourself, your company, your team an opportunity to exceed. Now, this also, needless to say, applies to internal kind of communication. Where's all the disconnects? Where's all the frustrations. Oftentimes, that's where it really falls is everybody is not necessarily keeping promises and exceeding expectations. So again, I just want to encourage you as you're thinking about your business, just take some time to reflect on some of these things that I talk about in Remodeling Mastery. You know, Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series. We've got over 100 episodes of these little insights. So don't just Listen to one. Subscribe. It's very easy. They automatically come to you about every two weeks. And by subscribing to it, you also learn about other opportunities and also my interviews with thought leaders of people who've been out there, done it, and had some successes that you probably, rather than keep slugging away, you want to try to emulate and learn from some of those lessons as well. So again, I want to thank my friends from the National Association of the Modeling Industry as well as as well as Professional Remodeling Magazine. And stay tuned now. We're going to have a very interesting thought leader conversation coming up here shortly. Take care. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery. But just as much, I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to Spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Modeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that'll be able to help you with your business. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And as we do, uh, oftentimes we bring on experts, experts in the industry. And I'm excited to bring back Kermit Baker, who is the chief economist for the American Institute of Architects, as well as leads the 
Remodeling Futures Group at Harvard University. And I think, you know, given the times we're in, it's a little bit herky-jerky out there. It's a little bit wiggly. So it's always good to keep a pulse and certainly, if not anything else, be listening to some of the sages and experts of kind of what they're seeing out there in terms of the uh, either the storm clouds or, quite frankly, the, the you know, the, the, the sunny days. So welcome, Kermit, back to uh, Remodeling Mastery. Mark, uh, uh, glad to be back here joining you again. Wonderful. So, Kermit, you've actually shared some of your insights several times on this podcast series at different points. Uh, why don't we talk, uh, you know, we're getting towards the final leg of, you know, 2019 and, and uh you know, a year ago, we were concerned about, you know, an uptick in interest rates having an effect on things. And now we've seen, you know, interest rates actually be, you know, held down a little bit. So, you know, give us kind of what some of the key factors are for you and, and, and what, what you're seeing out there. Sure. Um, you know, I think from a from the broad view, Mark, um, the industry is doing very well. Um, you know, business conditions are healthy for most remodeling contractors. We um, are a leading indicator for remodeling activity. Uh, what we developed here to uh, track uh, trends in the industry nationally, at least, you know, is is projecting four and a half percent growth in remodeling spending for 2019. So that's down a little bit from it was what it was in 2018 in terms of growth rate, down a little bit from where it was in 2017 in terms of the growth rate. But four and a half percent is a good healthy number. I think you know I think most folks in the industry would be happy if they saw that pace of growth every year. And um, you know to, to, to the point is is really just about the average that we've seen for growth in this industry over the last 20, 30 years. So that's kind of a typical year. For um, for uh, activity in terms of home improvement spending, H- having said that, though I think that there's not too much that's been typical about this year in terms of what's been going on. Uh, you know, strong growth numbers, but I think you know, growing levels of uncertainty in terms of uh, you know what the future brings. And there's been uh, an awful lot of probably too much talk about you know when is the next recession going to hit and you know, when is the sky going to fall in and things like that, that that's gotten folks, I think, a little a little more uh, nervous than usual about what's going on. So why don't we, if I could, Mark, just kind of walk through two or three kind of, you know, big issues, I think, that the industry ought to be tracking and that uh, might uh, suggest, uh, you know, future direction for the industry and things that um, the industry might might want to look out for in terms of, uh, you know, trying to figure out where where uh, business conditions are headed. That'd be great. Uh, the, the 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 first is that we are seeing a you know a broader slowdown in the economy and in the residential market and in the more specifically the remodeling uh, industry. So, you know, GDP growth in our economy is uh, you know started out pretty strong this year, but it's sort of slowed down to about two percent growth in the second quarter, and it looks like it's going to continue at that pace for the remainder of this year and probably moving into 2020. A little closer to home, though, in terms of things that we track uh, to try to get a sense of where the industry is going is, 
you know, probably at the top of the list would be sales of existing homes. Um, that triggers an awful lot of home improvement activity. When, when you buy a home, when a household buys a home, uh, particularly an older home, that, that's the most common time to, uh, uh, to engage in a home improvement project. And, and, and those numbers have been softening for really quite some time now, really since the, um, you know, early 2018, we've seen numbers that are, you know, kind of sequentially a little bit softer than they were the quarter before that. So we're down, you know, kind of two, three percent, um, uh, per year recently in terms of home sales. And, and that's a, that's a concern. I mean, it may be an opportunity in the sense that some households might say, gee, I'm not going to, I'm not going to trade up to that nicer house. I'm, I'm going to fix up my current home instead. Uh, but big picture, slower home sales means slower spending on, on home improvement activity. Secondly, kind of related is, is single family construction is down. Um, that doesn't directly relate to remodeling, but, but generally, uh, home building and, and, and home improvement activity, uh, do kind of move forward ha- hand in hand. And so, um, you know, the, the, you know, some nervousness, I think, is being developed over the fact that we're building fewer homes. And, and, and the third thing I think to track is, uh, house prices. Uh, house prices have been, you know, after the collapse during the last recession, they've been slowly but surely uh, bouncing back. And now we see nationally that house prices are over 10% higher than they were at the peak of the last market in 2007. So, you know, on, on a nominal basis, not adjusting for inflation, we're all the way back to um, where we were in terms of uh, house prices nationally. Uh, that, that is nationally varies a lot by, by area of the country. But, you know, again, a good sign. And I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute, what higher house prices mean. Um, the, the, the second, so, you know, slowdown in the industry, um, uh, house prices, I mentioned, kind of a, a positive sign, but they have been slowing recently, too. Sec- second area I think we need to pay some attention to is uh, average project size. And, and, and you and I, Mark, have talked about this in the past that kind of uh, a, a little bit counterintuitively, what really drives the, the, the home improvement industry is not so much how many households are undertaking projects, it's how much they're spending on the projects that they undertake. And so average project size is a, a huge indicator of the health of the industry. And uh, unfortunately, over the last year or so, we've seen the typical project size, particularly for discretionary projects. So when we look at you know average project size for a design build firm or average project size for a full service remodeler, those have fallen off um, over the last year by a fair amount, somewhere between five and ten percent on average uh, nationally. So uh, that's a, uh, that, that's another, I think, you know, warning cloud that that maybe industry is, is starting to uh, uh, starting to slow. The third and, and last topic I want to cover, Mark, is, is really coming back to something you alluded to at the very beginning of this call, where you talked about um, lower mortgage rates, and, and I think. Kind of surprisingly, we are seeing um, a decline in mortgage rates, um, and with you know when you couple that with uh, the growth in house prices that we've seen over the last decade or so, that's actually a very positive sign for the industry. So homeowners have more equity in their home. Um, with mortgages going down, I think a lot of owners are thinking about refinancing their mortgage. 
you know, taking advantage of these kind of near record low interest rates. And when they do that, it's very easy to uh, extract a little bit of uh, uh, equity from it, uh, what's called in the trade a cash out refinance. So, you know, I've got a uh, $300,000 mortgage. Um, I've paid down $50,000 of that. I refinanced to get a lower rate. And I can, uh, you know, I can pull out that $50,000 pretty easily if I want to. And and when owners do that, the most common purpose uh, for that money is to undertake a home improvement project. So that gives them a little liquidity to do that project they may have been thinking about. And I think that is a important counterbalance to what we're seeing more broadly in terms of the industry slowdown is we are seeing this cash-out refinance activity pick up and a lot of that being really um, uh, shuffled back into their home in terms of a home improvement project. So, Kermit, uh, as as you look at the market, and I think your your numbers are very, very helpful in terms of, you know, percentage of growth and what have you, but, you know, the reality is, is that uh, home improvement is not just national, it's also regional and, and local. How, if you, if you, with, with, without going through all the individual markets, are there any kind of, uh, 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 kind of broader kind of regional comments that you could make in terms of East Coast, West Coast, uh, you know, the Midwest or South in terms of kind of varying, so to speak, in terms of these, uh, you know, these outcomes? Sure. I, you know what I think tying that back to something I talked about, Mark, which is which is house prices, and I talked about how they have recovered recently, and and didn't get into, but kind of implying that there maybe even are some affordability issues arising in certain markets across the country. So we are have seen house prices nationally increase, as I said, um, but we're seeing a lot of regional variation on that, and uh, as I said, in some markets, uh, growing concerns about affordability. Um, but 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 you make a great point. I think it depends where you are. So if you are in Buffalo, New York, or Cleveland, Ohio, or Detroit, Michigan, or St. Louis, Missouri, you're probably not concerned about housing affordability. That's just not a big issue there. And and for different reasons. But um, a similar trend is that if you're in Atlanta or Dallas or Houston or Phoenix, um, probably not that concerned about. Uh, uh, housing affordability uh, either. Uh, the first four areas I mentioned are kind of depressed economies. Uh, the second four I mentioned are very strong economies, but with a lot of construction activity. So that's that's kept housing uh, affordable. Um, uh, you know, I think we're seeing uh, uh, some activity undertaken there because of that affordability. And that's in marked contrast to uh, really, West Coast markets: Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, and some Northeast corridor um, markets too. Uh, up here in Boston, where I am, down in D.C., where you are, uh, New York, uh, also on that list of uh, uh, really seeing, I think, a, a lot of um, uh, pressure in terms of how high can prices go, and a lot of uh, resistance, I think, on the part of buyers to. Uh, to pay those prices and by that, by, by the same token, you know, undertake a home improvement project. So I think, you know, we are seeing, uh, and, and we'll continue to see a bit more of a slowdown from those, you know, those red hot markets along the coast that have really been generating an awful lot of home improvement activity. And I think we'll, we'll see that begin to switch over to, um, you know, some of the, um, 
more vibrant Sunbelt markets that I mentioned, as well as even some of the uh, uh, more depressed Midwest markets where uh, affordability is very much there and, and younger households can get in those markets and, and actually have some cash left over to, to undertake a home improvement project. So, Kermit, I know that you don't have a crystal ball, but you are focused very much on not only the here and now, but the future. So, you know, as we project out, you know, 2020, 2021, do we see things next year, the year after, being more challenging or less challenging or pretty much the same story? Well, I would say, you know, more challenging from a business growth perspective. Um, you know, we're projecting um, very little, if any, growth in sort of uh, total market spending for 2020. Um, I, I, on the other hand, I'm not sure that that is, should be uh, uh, very much concern for the typical uh, remodeling contractor um, in the sense that no growth means, um, you know, the, the high levels of, of business that they're seeing now should should remain um, high levels of business moving into next year. And, and I think it'll ease some of the problems they're seeing. I mean, the, the number one issue that this industry is facing, Mark, I think it's fair to say, is is a labor shortage. And, and I think maybe some slower growth in, in the volume of activity will um, begin to diminish that concern, I think, that we won't need to keep adding a, a lot more labor if the, if the market's not growing more quickly. And I think that'll uh, um, allow more and more contractors to kind of take some of the pressure off them in terms of meeting project schedules, uh, getting subs uh, to show up for a project on time and stay within budget and other sorts of things. So, um, you know, I, I think slower growth, but I think it might be a, a bit of a refreshing pause for a lot of folks in the industry at, that have seen you know, uh, virtually a decade of, of, of very strong growth in this industry um, um, recently. Excellent. Well, listen, Kermit, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and, and certainly sharing, I think, some of your, you know, your insights. And, you know, my kind of summary of things is that, you know, it while you might be experiencing a lot of kind of ups and downs and wiggliness, the reality is, is that, you know, it while it may not be kind of go-go times out there, it, it it's still, you know, solid, solid growth. And as Kermit says, you know, if you are doing the right things as it relates to, you know, your business and your culture and your team, you ought to be able to track in the future more talent and you ought to be able to continue to seek and you know, positive results. So, again, I want to thank uh, Professional Remodeler for certainly supporting this, as well as the National Association of Remodeling Industry. And, again, Kermit, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. Good catching up with you, Mark. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available on all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.